Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. The temptations you face don't come from Satan himself. He can't be in more than one place at a time. He doesn't have to be. Because you see, he has a whole army of demonic helpers. We call them demons who are there to assist him in carrying out his deceitful and destructive plan for your life. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Satan is not an omnipresent being, though sometimes it might feel that way. Temptation seems to be lurking around every corner. So how does the devil manage this massive operation? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress reveals the truth about the army of demons that Satan has at his disposal. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Let me ask you a couple of personal questions. Have you ever struggled with depression? Or have you been caught in a pattern of sin and you can't seem to break the cycle? Or have you found yourself quietly and privately doubting your faith? These are common problems. But let me suggest that the culprit behind these insidious struggles may surprise you. Paul told the Ephesians, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's very clear that Satan is alive and well, and Christians must be equipped for this battle. For this very reason, we're conducting a comprehensive series called The Divine Defense, and I've written a helpful book on this topic based on Ephesians 6 with the same title, The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. I'd be pleased to send you a copy when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Let's be clear about this. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to be Satan's spiritual roadkill. When you apply the God-ordained principles for spiritual protection, God will place you in a powerful position. Victory is yours to claim. I'll say more about my book and other helpful resources after today's message. But right now, let's see what God's Word has to say about the world of demons. Have you ever felt an inexplicable weight of oppression upon your shoulders? No matter how hard you tried to shake that feeling of depression, you couldn't do it. It just remained there. Have you ever been in an argument with another person in which the tempers flared hotter, the words became more vindictive than the situation called for? It was almost like a third party was in the room egging on the conversation and conflict beyond reasonable boundaries. Have you ever been having one of those really productive days where you were checking everything off your to-do list when suddenly out of nowhere this fear seized your mind and no matter how much you tried to rid yourself of that fear, it just paralyzed you with inactivity? Have you ever been in a situation where a temptation just came out of nowhere into your life? And if you didn't know better, you would think God himself brought that temptation because it was so perfectly suited to meet the need, the hunger you had at that very moment. 
If your answer is yes to any of those situations, then you have come face to face with the world of demons. Now, I know that sounds over the top. Some people say, no, Robert, come on. Are you really saying just normal things like depression and anger and temptation and fear? Are you saying those things are attributed to demons? Aren't those things more attributable to the weaknesses that we carry within us? We saw last time in James 1.14, the temptation equation. We saw how temptation comes into our life. Remember, James says each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Yes, it does start within us. We are carried away. That means drawn with an inward power. We all have within us this defective operating system we inherited from Adam. One that takes normal desires and tries to fulfill those desires apart from God's plan. It does all start in here. But remember that second word, we're not only carried away, but we're enticed. That's a fishing word in Greek. It means to be hooked. You see, there is a fisherman on the outside who knows exactly what bait, what temptation to dangle in front of you and exactly when to do it. And when we're so blinded by our inward cravings, we snap at that bait, not realizing there is a hook in the middle of it that will destroy us. And the result is death. Now, who is that master fisherman who's out there dangling that bait that appeals to our inward lust? Well, up to now, we've identified that adversary as Satan. The Bible says, be on the alert, be of sober spirit, for your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But remember, Satan is not God's equal. He's not omniscient. That is, he's not all-knowing. He's not omnipotent, all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at a time. The temptations you face don't come from Satan himself. He can't be in more than one place at a time. He doesn't have to be. Because you see, he has a whole army of demonic helpers, we call them demons, who are there to assist him in carrying out his deceitful and destructive plan for your life. And today, we're going to begin a short mini-seminary course in what the Bible has to say about demons and specifically how they affect your life. Let's first of all talk about the whole idea of the existence of demons. When I mention demons, you mention the word demons and people get a smile on their face sometimes. Uh, Like Satan, demons have been caricatured as as these little uh, figures that sit on your shoulders uh, whispering sweet temptations into your life. Some people laugh at the idea of demons. Other people trivialize the idea of demons. They talk about a person's inner demons. Have you ever heard that experience before? As if demons were nothing more than our less than admirable impulses in life. But as Chuck Swindoll says, demons are neither funny nor phony. They are formidable forces that are going to destroy your life if you're not aware of them. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and look at the reality of demons. Ephesians 6, this is the seminal passage in the New Testament on spiritual warfare. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Satan has a scheme, a blueprint to destroy your life. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Regardless of what you think, the chief adversary you're going to face tomorrow morning is not another person. It's not that boss at work. You may think he's the Antichrist. He isn't. It's not your mate. They're not your primary opponent. Your primary difficulty in life is not difficult circumstances. If you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then you have to accept this truth. Our, our primary opponent is not what we see, it's what we don't see. It's those invisible but very real rulers, powers, and forces. Notice the plurality of those words. It's not just Satan, but it is those who work with him, the demonic influences. You know, if Satan is the brains behind the uh, operation to destroy us, then demons provide the brawn for the operation. Together, Satan and his demons work to destroy your life. And it only seems appropriate that if we're going to be successful in winning these unseen battles we all face every day then we ought to learn as much about demons as we can. We ought to gather as much intelligence as humanly possible. Fortunately, the Bible's given us a lot of information about demons. Let's look at the reference to demons in the Bible. Did you know in the Old Testament there are only two references to demons, and they all have to do with false gods? Listen to Deuteronomy 32, verse 17. Moses writes, And they sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. Moses was writing about the Israelites when they came into this new land of Canaan. He said, when they came into Canaan, there were all of these false gods, Baal, Asherah, Moloch, these other false gods. And when the Israelites started worshiping these false gods, notice whom they were really worshiping. God says they were actually sacrificing to demons. Note this, and we're going to talk about it more in a moment. Behind every false, unreal God in the world today, there is a very real demonic power. Demons are ultimately the force behind every false religion in the world today. Look at Psalm 106, verses 37 and 38. Again, it says, they, talking about the Israelites, even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood and the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. In order to worship the false god Moloch, uh, the Israelites would actually sacrifice their children. They would murder their children. They weren't worshiping Moloch. The Bible says they were actually worshiping the demonic power behind this false god, Moloch. And may I say today, when we bow down to worship the false god of human freedom, we worship that god through the murder of unborn children, abortion. We are committing the same sin as those pagan Israelites. Abortion is nothing but murder, and it is the murder of children to demons. That is what is behind the whole pro-abortion movement in the world today. That's the Old Testament. Secondly, look at demons in the New Testament. There are over a hundred references to demons in the New Testament. Every writer of the New Testament mentions demons except the writer of Hebrews. And uh, 
The first book of the New Testament that was written, by the way, was not Matthew. Uh, The first book of the New Testament written was James. Look at the mention of demons in James 2, verse 19. James said, you believe that God is one, you do well. But demons also believe and shudder. James was writing to a group of Jewish Christians. As you know, to the Jew, the most foundational doctrinal truth was the oneness of God. Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. James is saying, you believe that? You believe that God is one? Congratulations. But demons believe that truth as well. And they shudder. You've heard me say before that word in Greek, shudder, literally means to have the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I didn't know demons had hair, but apparently they do. He said the demons tremble at the idea of the oneness of God. If James were writing to our church today, mainly Gentile Christians, we have some Jewish Christians, but mainly Gentile Christians, he would say, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the world? You believe that he rose again from the dead on the third day? Congratulations! But demons believe all of those things. But demons believe those things more than you and I do. Because they were there. They witnessed it firsthand. If you don't hear another truth, I have to say to you this morning, hear this. Believing the right facts about Jesus Christ will not get you to heaven. We've got this idea that it's just a matter of believing intellectually the right facts about Jesus that cause us to go to heaven. No, you can believe all the right things about Jesus and spend eternity in hell. It is not believing that Jesus died for the sins of the world. It's not believing that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons believe that. It's coming to that point in your life when you are so broken about your sin and failure before God. That you bow down in desperation and say, God, I cannot save myself. I'm trusting in, clinging to, believing that Jesus died for my sins. And I'm resting, trusting in Him and Him alone for my salvation. That is how a person is saved. And that's something the demons have never done. Demons are mentioned in the first book written in the New Testament. They're also mentioned in the last book of the New Testament. Revelation 16, verses 13 and 14. John says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that is Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophets, three unclean spirits like frogs. And they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. Leading up in the tribulation to that final conflict, the battle of Armageddon, demons will be very active. In fact, interestingly, God will use the demons in order to uh, lure all of the world forces to come to that plain of Megiddo in Israel, the place of the final great world conflict. The Bible is filled with revelation about demons that we need to understand. It shouldn't surprise you, however, that the greatest number of references to demons occur in the Gospels during the life of Jesus Christ. They were more active in the world during the time of Christ than any other time in human history. And when you stop and think about it, you can understand why that is. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, invaded planet Earth, He was coming for one reason— 
to reclaim this world from the grip of Satan to deliver it back to God. That's why he came and died on the cross to break the curse, the stranglehold that Satan has on this world. And so when Jesus came, it so incited the the demons and the devil that they worked overtime to stop that plan from being fulfilled. Now we're going to look at one of the most famous encounters Jesus had with demons. But the fact that Jesus talked about demons and actually interacted with demons means that they are real beings. They're not just the figment of somebody's overactive imagination. Think about it. If demons, like some liberal theologians tell us today, are nothing more than an attempt by first century people to explain the existence of evil, if that's all demons are, then Jesus should have been checked into Timberlawn, okay? He ought to be in a mental institution, Because the fact is, Jesus talked to these beings called demons. He interacted with them. He had a severe case of schizophrenia if uh, demons are not real in the world today. The fact that Jesus interacted with demons, he cast them out, he talked to them, showed that they are very real. Now, let's look at what the Bible says about the personality of demons. Demons are more than just forces or concepts. They are real beings. You understand the difference between something that is animate and something that is inanimate. Something that is animate has life to it. Something that is inanimate is something that has no life to it, like that pew on which you're sitting right now. Now, I'm going to contrast the difference between simple forces or concepts and demons. Demons are real beings. You know, to be a being, to be something alive, you have to have intelligence, you have to have emotions, you have to have a will. Demons have all of these things. For example, demons have intelligence. Look at Luke chapter 8, verses 27 to 28. Turn there for just a moment, Luke 8, 27 to 28, and then we're going to skip down to chapter verses 32 and 33. Uh, these uh, verses represent one of the most famous encounters Jesus had with demons. And we're going to see the personality of demons demonstrated here. Luke says, And when Jesus had come out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time, and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission, and the demons came out from the man, and they entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now who was this man who was possessed by many demons? What had he done that allowed himself to be possessed or controlled by demons? Is it possible that Christians today can be possessed by demons? Is it possible for a child of God to be heavily influenced by demonic creatures? I'm going to answer all those questions next time. And my answer is going to surprise a lot of you. But this morning, instead of talking about this man who was possessed with many demons, instead, let's look at what this passage teaches us about demons themselves. First of all, demons possess intelligence. 
That is, they were aware of what's going on around them. When they saw Jesus, they shouted out, Jesus, Son of the Most High, please get away from us. Isn't it interesting that demons know more about Jesus Christ than many liberal seminary professors today? Some of the greatest professions of faith about Jesus Christ came from demonic lips in the New Testament. The demons knew exactly who he was. He was the son of the Most High. Demons possess intelligence. Secondly, demons experience emotions. That is, in this case, they had great fear about being cast into the abyss, uh, the place of confinement for demons. They felt emotions. Thirdly, demons have a will. The demons say to Jesus, Jesus, please do not cast us into the abyss. We do not want that. And then they creatively offer an alternative. They say, instead, put us into the swine. And when Jesus agrees, they cast or they submit themselves to the will of God. They have a will. And thirdly, or fourthly, demons have names. Just like we have a name, each demon has a name as well. In fact, the chief demon in verse 30 is described as being named legion, a military term referring to 6,000 soldiers. You know, again, you have to come to your own conclusion about who Jesus is. Jesus interacted with demons here. Now, either he was a liar, he made the whole thing up, there were no demons here, he was just trying to deceive his followers. Or he was a lunatic, he should be in a straitjacket because he was talking to beings that really didn't exist. If he's not a liar, if he's not a lunatic, then the only other conclusion is that he is the Lord of all. He is the Son of God. And the fact that he interacted with demons and said that they are real means that they are real forces in your life and my life. Where do demons come from? Now, there are all kinds of ideas about where demons um, came from. Some people say that uh, demons uh, um, were the spirits of... uh, another race of people that existed before Adam and Eve. Uh, Some people say that demons uh, are the spirits of non-Christians who have died. Some people say demons are the uh, result of an unholy union between uh, the sons of uh, uh, God and the daughters of men found in Genesis 6. But I think the most logical explanation for demons is that they were one-time angels who joined Lucifer in his rebellion against God. Now you say, why do you say apparently? Well, the reason is there is really no explicit scripture that tells us that Satan, when he fell, was joined by a group of angels. Did you know that? There is no verse in the Bible that says when Satan fell from heaven that a group of angels joined him in that rebellion. When we learn about the world of demons, it's natural to feel afraid. In fact, Satan wants you and me to live in fear. He knows that if we allow it, fear will consume us. And over time, we'll get discouraged and lose hope. But remember, God has given us a battle plan to turn the tables on Satan. We can overcome his destructive ways and live in victory. It begins with gearing up for spiritual warfare with the armor described in Ephesians chapter 6. And that armor is also described in my book titled, The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. I want you to read and apply the principles in this life-changing book. 
A copy of my book is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. This is a perfect book to guide your small group Bible study or your Sunday school class. I guarantee it will spark some good conversations. Then, if you're prepared to support Pathway to Victory in a deeper way, let me invite you to become a Pathway Partner. As a Pathway Partner, your monthly giving not only entitles you to exclusive benefits, but your consistent giving has a powerful impact on the effectiveness of this ministry as well. To learn more about becoming a Pathway Partner and all the special benefits that belong to you as a Pathway Partner, go to ptv.org. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. When you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory or when you become a Pathway Partner, we'll say thanks by sending you The Divine Defense, Dr. Jeffress' best-selling book on demons and spiritual warfare. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or follow the easy steps online at ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you, in addition to the book, this month's teaching series on CD and DVD. It's also titled The Divine Defense. To request the Divine Defense CD and DVD set, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could write to us if you'd like, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress concludes this eye-opening message on The World of Demons. That's Tuesday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel and sign up before September 30th to receive an early bird discount. To learn more, go to ptv.org.